Focus on the process, not the results. Focus on the task at hand. What's your job? You know what I do? I show up four days a week. I show up when I'm supposed to show up. I hit every rep. I used to go hit by myself in the cages at Richmond when no one was there. And if yeah. someone came in, I'd leave because I just wanted to be by myself. And I'd hit bucket after bucket, right? I always say too, when you're hitting, when you're doing things by yourself, when you're reading books, when you're meditating, whatever you're doing, you're building confidence. Like I was building skill, but I was building my mind, my confidence. So when I knew I showed up at practice the next day or I showed up at a game, hey man, guess what? You don't know how much time I put in. You don't know the things that go through my mind. So when I'm in that box and I'm facing you, boy, I've built so much confidence because of the time I put in by myself. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today's episode is a special mashup of three different prior interviews. I took a key segment from each that meant a lot to me around peak performance and how, how people get from level A to level B at the highest of levels in their profession. So this week, we're talking to three professional all-star athletes, starting with Sean Casey, former three-time Major League Baseball all-star with the Cincinnati Reds, Detroit Tigers, and Boston Red Sox. He also batted 560 plus in the World Series, and he talks about how he went from uh, habits that he formed in the childhood to the last at-bat of the World Series. Fascinating story. Make sure you check that out. We'll also have Shea Hillenbrand, who's going to talk about his ascension to being a two-time Major League Baseball All-Star with the, with the Boston Red Sox. And lastly, you're going to hear from Eric Wood, former Pro Bowl center for my Buffalo Bills, and his story of going from a goal of being a practice squad player with the Cincinnati Bengals to one day becoming a Pro Bowl center with, uh, with the best football franchise in the NFL, if I do say so myself. Hope you enjoy all of that. Be sure to go to GoBundance.com. Fill out an application no matter where you are. We've got a community for you and, and help us out. Help us out with this podcast. If you've gotten value, I mean this, like, don't, please don't look past this. Jump on, give us a rating and review. It helps us grow our guests. It helps us grow the podcast. Put a lot of time, energy, and effort into it. And if you get value from this, if you listen consistently, drop a rating and review. Help us out with growing it as we go forward. But other than that, listen to these three incredible individuals talk about their stories of peak performance. The thing I'm wondering about, and maybe it is the fact that you stuck to the process. I don't know. But at 12 years old, I'm going to be a major leaguer. You're running a 7-6-60, whatever the heck yeah, it was. Yeah, like yeah, you're, yes. you're too slow to, to be a, a ball player. Yes. You know, you're not getting in. Then you, you get to this, the Cape Cod League. I don't know if I belong here. I've had that feeling in so many ways. Even just joining GoBundance, I've felt that at the beginning. Like, man, do I belong around these guys? Right. W- what is it What is it that, that allows you? And you won the Hutch Award for perseverance yeah. in the face of adversity. Yeah. What is that? Were you born with that? Is that something that you attribute to your dad? Is it just that you've been so focused on the 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 habits and process versus the result? I mean, is it all of it? No. What, what do you attribute your ability to overcome that adversity and stand in the face of a bunch of people at 12 and say, I'm going to be major league baseball player. Screw all of you for laughing yeah. at me. Or I don't yeah. care that Todd Helton's the number one pick. I'm better than him or I'm better than this kid in ninth grade. What is that? Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Yeah. It's amazing. I think there's a lot of different things that go into that. Um, and I, and I also think there's a little bit of a dreamer in there, you know, a little bit of a dreamer that, you know what, man, like, Nah, I'm going to do it. And like, I had such a deep seated belief. And it's funny because like I said, 
I was a little, you know, I, I, I was a little heavier as a kid. Like I said, I wasn't the athlete you saw. You said, you, there's no one that looked at me, Sean Casey back then said, this guy's going to play 12 years in the big leagues. No one, not, not anybody. Right, but what's right. so funny is I remember going to the three river stadium with my dad, with the pirates. And my, I remember looking at my dad when I was 15, got my nachos in hand, salsa and cheese, ready to go. I looked at my dad. I said, I'm going to be here one day. And the greatest thing about my dad was he would say, why not you? Why not you? And I remember that. I remember people would say, 0.00001% of people are going to play in the big leagues. You should get a job. And I said, well, well, why not me? Why not me in that 0.001%? You know what I mean? And in my junior year in high school, my dad bought me three books. And I wasn't a reader. I wasn't, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't read at all back then, right? I'm a big reader now, but I wasn't a big reader then. Charlie Lau, The Art of Hitting 300. Ted Williams, The Science of Hitting. And Harvey Dorfman, The Mental Game of Baseball. For whatever reason, brother, I fell in love with that book, The Mental Game of Baseball by Harvey Dorfman. And I used to go during my during my free periods in school. You know, everyone's, you know, I go eat lunch. Then I go to the library. I couldn't believe it. I'd open up the book and I'd start just, you know, I, here it is right here. Matter of fact, here's the book. I used to, I used to literally. Holy go, Kevin, right there. I used to go. That, that and wasn't dice. a setup. I like that. It wasn't. No, I swear it wasn't. I had it here for another show, <laughs> yeah. but it wasn't a setup. And you know, this, the book on confidence, right? Make confidence a very top priority attitudes, like the winning attitude, the losing at mental discipline. This is my, this is my biggest chapter, mental discipline. I'm in control. Let's get the job done. Like this stuff started to come into my mind. Like you wouldn't believe at 16, right? At 16, I dove in this book. And that's what I tell people. I'm like, listen, you either do or you don't like you either put the time in physically to take the, take the, take the reps and get, and get the skill and then develop your mind. Right. So like this helped develop my mind so much at 16 so that I started to learn, especially the one thing Harvey talked about, like focus on the process, not the results, focus on the task at hand. What's your job. And I started to buy into that at like 16, 17, 18 years old. And I can remember, and, and another thing he used to say was breathe or die. You got to be able to live in the moment and that breath gets you into the moment. Right. And so for me, what's so funny is I, I got so engulfed in, in that belief in myself that if I can lock in every time I take the field and every time I get into my at bat of the process of my at bat of slowing down, of hunting the fastball, of looking middle away, reacting in. And I can do that over and over and over. That consistency will give me results, right? Showing up every single pitch, not every at bat, not every game, every pitch. And I think when I learned that, it, it took me to another level. But I also understood too, I could take that to my weightlifting. When I show up to lift weights, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna hit every rep. I'm gonna do everything it says on the paper. Whatever the coach is telling me to do, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna get stronger. And I did. It was funny to see my body develop in college to that, you know, wow, I didn't even know I could do this stuff. But man, I, you know what I do? I show up four days a week. I show up when I'm supposed to show up. I hit every rep. I do everything I'm supposed to do. And I also hit in the cages by myself at night. I used to go, I loved hitting. It's the reason I love Pearl Jam and the reason I love ACDC. I used to go hit by myself in the cages at Richmond when no one was there. And if yeah. someone came in, I'd leave because I just wanted to be by myself. And I'd listen to the 10 album and back in black. And I just roll <laughs> them. I just yeah. roll them. And I'd hit bucket after bucket. Right. And so I always say too, when you're hitting, when you're doing things by yourself, when you're reading books, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're meditating, whatever you're doing, you're building confidence. Like I was building skill. 
but I was building my mind, my confidence. So when I knew I showed up at practice the next day or I showed up at a game, hey, man, guess what? You don't know how much time I put in. You don't know the things that go through my mind. So when I'm in that box and I'm facing you, boy, I've built so much confidence because of the time I put in by myself. And so I think it was all that, Jamie, like all that stuff of the belief of process and focus on the task hand every day and everything that I did. I think that was the belief I was, I gained so much confidence in it that I was like, I can, I can beat anybody. I, 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 if, if it's a one-on-one battle, I've put in the time and the reps and the mental reps and, and, and I know the process so well, I've mastered my process in baseball. I'm going to beat you. Like, how do you stay inside and not get broken down by the failure? How do you do that? Because I mastered my process. Mm. I mastered the breath. Like I remember, I remember I always told myself if, if I can get into the right state, I can beat anybody. If I let anxiety and stress take over my state, I can't beat anybody. Mm. I'm hoping to do well. So I knew when I, when I didn't have great games or, or I was hot to stay there, I just knew it was like, if I could breathe and slow down every pitch, yeah. I knew I had a shot. Like I knew that, man, I got a shot to get this guy. Cause I know I'm turning. Cause whenever you turn your breath on, you turn your vision on and your eyes and your brain are connected. What do they say when you have anxiety right now in life? What do we, you know, Hey man, do the, do box breathing, uh, do the four, seven, eight. You know, um, you know, do the, you know, do the heart, you know, the mind heart connection, you know, whatever it is we, for anxiety, meditate. Mm. If, you, if you can't meditate for five minutes, take a couple of deep breaths. Well, guess what? When, when you're in a competition with somebody, your brain doesn't know it's baseball. It just knows there's something going on here that, 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 that there's some anxiety here. Where's this thing? Where's this adrenaline rush that just hit me? You know what I mean? So like controlling that adrenaline rush. Being able to slow down was my superpower because I realized it doesn't matter what the results are. It doesn't matter that I'm 0 for my last 12. I could be 12 for my next 12. I just got to win this pitch. Mm. I just got to slow down and win this pitch. And I can't take all the failure that's happening because even as a career 300 hitter, I failed 70% of the time. Babe Ruth was the ultimate home run hitter and he struck out more than he, more than, you know, more than anybody in the history of the game. Jim Tomey. 612 home runs, second most strikeouts in the game. Like, do you think those guys loved walking? I talked to Jim Tomey one time. I was like, Case, one time I was 0 for 5, five strikeouts, walking back to the dugout, have no idea what I'm doing. Like, frustrated, uh, people are yelling at me, and I'm thinking, this is Jim Tomey. They got a statue of him in Cleveland. <laughs> what made him better than, than anyone else? Man, this guy was able to come back the next day because yeah. he's coming for you. Yeah. He knows he's one pitch away. So, you know, I think that was the biggest thing for me, bro the breath, mastering the process, knowing that I could always lean on it. I could always go back to it. And I wasn't going to let my good games or my bad games dictate what my process was because I knew I just needed to do it every day. And that's why at the end of the year, it's exhausting. At the end of the year, when, when you take a deep breath and you know you got four months off for the offseason, you're like, wow, that was a grind. Amazing. I heard, I don't know who it was. I'm trying to think right now. It was, it was a podcast guest somebody I was talking to. Uh, they said the, the, the physical difference, the only difference between your body's recognition of fear and excitement is breathing. You don't breathe when you're in fear. So to your point, and he, the person was saying, you need to sort of, if you, if you recognize the fear and breathe in that moment, you'll convert it to excitement. You'll oh, convert your bodies right from fear to excitement. I thought that was I a brilliant that. thing. And I, 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 
Whoever said it, I apologize if I'm stealing your line. I'm not taking credit for it. It's I love that. Line, but, I love it. And, right? you and you change your state, right? I mean, you, you just said state. you went yeah. from an anxious state to a state of, okay, I'm okay. Yep. I'm okay. Like, I'm not getting chased by a saber-toothed tiger here. Right, right, I'm right. actually safe. I'm okay. I can, let me just get out of this anxious state into a state that where I can, I, I think really quick, in 2006, it was one of my favorite at-bats of my career. I'm in the World Series. I'm having a great World Series. My last at-bat of the World Series, game five, Adam Wainwright, ninth inning. Uh, the, the Cardinals are up, I think, four to two in the game. They're three outs away from a World Series title. They're up 3-1 in the series. Out one happens. I'm on deck. So I come in. I come into the game. I mean, I come into the plate. Here we go. Crowd's kind of going crazy. Wainwright's out there, rookie, closing the games, throwing 98, good changeup. First pitch, heater, bam, gets me 0-1. So I'm like, I take a, take a big swing. Like, okay, <clears throat> I'm good. Next pitch, changeup. Totally has me off. Deceives me big time. I Out front, swing and miss. You know, now, brother, a moment in my life that I've never experienced a deafening roar like this, and I'll never experience it again. I step out. Now, think about this. 60,000 people in St. Louis know they're one strike away and one out away from a World Series title. They come to their feet in a deafening roar, bro. Deafening roar. And I stepped out. I remember getting caught in the moment. I was like, oh, my God, is that loud? Holy, like, uh, my ears are ringing loud. Like, I... Oh my God. I start. I remember looking around like, and, and, and places going up. Then I thought to myself, okay, my only shot in this environment of pandemonium all against me in this moment is to get back into the moment and lean on the process that has helped me my whole career to this point. This is going through you. This is what you're thinking at this moment. At this moment, I'm no thinking, shit. yes, wow. I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. You got to get out of this moment because this is, this is nuts. This is anxiety times a million. This is, this is a, this is loud as loud as you've ever had. I got to get out of this moment, yeah. this state. I cannot perform it. So I remember I took two breaths. It was one of the only time I was like, I got one, you know, through my nose. I mean, th through my belly and my nose, got that breath. And then I stepped in the box and I was like, <sighs> and I got in and bro, it was unbelievable. Crowd's still going. They all of a sudden go away. Crowd goes away. I look out at Adam Wainwright. I don't think about game five, two strikes, nothing. I just know if this pitch, I can get it back to one, two and switch it back in my favor. He throws me a next change. Ups, tries to get double up on the change. but he got me. Oh, two. I take it. Well, I said a good take back to one, two step in, take a breath back in the flow state. It's like almost a tunnel. It's me versus Adam Wainwright. Two minutes, uh, about a minute earlier, it was pandemonium. I'm back in the state. I need to be in next pitch. High fastball. 2-2, two, two. I say to myself, this guy does not want to pitch to me for whatever reason. I'm hot, but he needs to come out. Now I got him. Next pitch, another fastball down, 3-2. Remember, like, being as relaxed as I've ever been in my life. I don't see anything. All I'm going to think about in myself is see the ball, hammer it. See the ball, hammer it. Ball, ball, ball. He throws me 98-mile-an-hour fastball. Bam! I cover one. Rock it into the gap. It hits the – I mean, it would have gone through the wall. It hits the wall ricochets. I double, um, you know, I get taken out for pitch runner, obviously. So, <laughs> you know, it just I'm never like, stops. But this moment just changed me. I was all like, ah, and then you're like, yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah, get, him, get him out of here. Get him. But I'm on second base. And I thought to myself, like I was having a moment, like that now it's now, now I've, now I've silenced the crowd. 
Yeah, yeah. I've gone from Astro Pam to complete silence. And I'm on second base and I come in. We end up, you know, they get two outs. We lose the game. But I look back at that moment in my career, that at bat, and I say, I, all the moments from 14 years old, yeah, all the moments of this book, all the moments of the at bats I had in the experience. I always tell my kids, you can't teach experience. Mm. I leaned on that experience in that moment to come through when, when it was as anxious and deafening as ever. And I was like, there you go. That that's what it's all about right there. Holy cow, man. That, that was straight <laughs> fire. Like I, I'm like shaking. Unbelievable. That's an incredible story. And yeah. I, I love the, the blend. I mean, it's a fun story. Everybody remembers that yeah. World series, everything else, but at the same time, the, 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 to take us through that thought process, take me through it. And, yeah. and the, the, uh, you know what you reminded me of? What's the movie? For love of the game, clear the mechanism. That's what that, that's what I thought of when he right. said it. But it's, yeah. it's to your point, it's the, it's the, uh, uh, what's the word, the aggregation, the, I can't think of the word of all of those years and that time and those reps and the intentionality yes. in those reps, that peak performance moment, it culminates with you taking 60,000 fans out of a game, at least for a moment with yes. a rocket shot, a rocket yes. shot. Like you said, that would have gone through the wall because you did, you followed your process. Holy shit. Exactly. And so talk wow. about, talk about the house being on fire. Yeah. Like, Hey, the house is on fire. What are you going to do? Oh, my plan is to get the pictures and get out. I always tell myself, right. you know, get the pictures. And go. Like the house was on fire, yeah. but I had a plan. And yeah. the, the plan was old, reliable. It had worked for, it was my ninth. It was my ninth year in the big leagues. It had worked for nine years. It had worked to go to three all-star games. It was going to work again in that pandemonium. I just had to have awareness of what was going on and get myself back to the state I needed to get to perform. I finally found what I've been put here to do. It wasn't to play Major League Baseball. It wasn't to crack home runs or seek the millions of dollars. It was to find out my true purpose. And unfortunately for me, it took me to go through traumatic turmoil because there's two options to be humbled, right? Either life will humble you or you choose to humble yourself and learn from people that have been humbled by life so you don't let life take you to the point of being one breath away. I shouldn't be here right now. And I'm finally grateful. I'm finally uh, understand. I'm in a really good spot right now. I'm in my dream neighborhood, my dream house, with my dream life, my dream wife. Like I'm back on top again. And I know I'm going to have way more success now doing what I am now, but that's a byproduct of putting the work in and, and, and not denying it, not ignoring it, not sitting there like I could easily gloss over. It. I still have people come up to me. Oh my gosh, Shay Hillenbrand. I'm like, only if you knew, man. Only if you knew. And I want to provide that voice for major leaguers. I, 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 I'm pioneering this space to share the transparency, to share the vulnerability, because so many of us are, are in that place of quiet desperation. And I was there for so long, and it sucked. There's no worse feeling in the world than, than going to bed in a, in a $4 million mansion, playing for the Angels, like you're living out your dream. And the first word out of your mouth is the F word every day when you wake up mm. ah! and your wife rolling over, like what's wrong. And you're sitting there like you, you'll never know. Cause I don't know. See in 2005, I made the all-star game. Yeah. I live in Arizona and I flew a private jet from Chandler airport in Arizona to Detroit, Michigan. I'm flying in a citation 10 private jet ego. I'm pimping. I'm bad. 
See, it's the fastest civilian jet in the world. It goes 64,000 feet, 640 miles an hour. No more commercial airline. It goes about uh, 35, 40,000 feet, 300, 400 miles an hour. I'm going just like a rocket. Yeah, no kidding. Imagine yourself, pilot, co-pilot, yourself, multi-million dollar jet, going to your childhood dream, and I'm getting ready to play in front of 100 million people the next day. That same place where I envisioned in the backyard as a kid, like so many people do, bases loaded, playing wiffle ball, bottom of the ninth, World Series, game seven, boom. I was going real time to live that at the Midsummer Classic. I'm looking out the window. Is this all it is? See, I didn't have any distractions. I didn't have my wife. I didn't have my kids. I didn't have family. I didn't have my entourage. It was myself by myself. And I couldn't hide behind anything to distract myself. And I'm going to live my childhood dream. And it's like, this is all it is? Man, I hate everything about this. I hate myself. But I had to put that smile on the next day and go out and perform in front of everybody to show that I'm not that hurt disparity person's desperation to, to just, it, it's just, it's not a good feeling. So what drives me now is that I just desperately don't want people to feel the pain that I felt on top of the world without understanding how to navigate through that. Taking people from one step away from, from thinking that they got to give up, man, I'm, I'm ready to give up. I can't fight this anymore and switch that perspective to one step away from a breakthrough. See what I did is I, I, I went back and rewrote history so you can't change the experiences that happen in your life, those pain points in your life that could be traumatic, defining moments in your life, mostly in your adolescence or your childhood. And I had to go back and really analyze and like, okay, what happened here? What was this? What was my dad's standpoint? As much as it hurt and much as it, I didn't want to go in that inner part of who I was, I went there and I was able to change my perspective. Like, you know what? Boom, breakthrough happens in a moment of time. And it's a moment of time where you switch the perspective from one thing to the next. So you actually can't change the experience that happens, but you could change your perspective and rewrite the history. When you do that, it grants you access to a power inside yourself that you're experiencing right now. I'm telling you, I wish I would have video footage. I'm, I'm probably glad I didn't of playing Major League Baseball, but, but it's just like, I don't know where this person came from. I just unlocked the vault inside myself that we all have. And I'm so like, so like passionately hungry just to share my message, to show everybody, like everybody has this in them. Like, like I did a, a keynote speech the other day and at the very end, the guy raised his hand in front. He's like, I got a question for you. I was like, what? He's, and he's very multimillionaire uh, uh, in the real estate space. He's like, how often do you work out? I'm like, why? He's like, your energy. It's insane. Yeah. And I was like, wait, wait. See, you don't get energy from working out. You don't get energy from eating. Yes, it can influence and enhance it, but your energy comes from inside you, an absolute power of that. Once you get out of your way, you start to, to create a hunger. You start creating a, a, an excitement. I, man, I wake up every day. It's excited. It's like four in the morning. My wife's like, get your ass in bed. I'm like, no, I got to go. I got to do the things I need to do every day. I have to master the craft. So I'm back in the batting cage. I'm back off the batter's tee. The way I got to the top to be one of the best hitters in the world is I didn't go out there and do all this level seven, eight, nine stuff. I mastered level one. I mastered hitting off a batter's tee better than everybody else around me. And that's what allowed me a foundation to build off of and scale quickly to go to the next level. 
So many of us want to go to from level one to level five, six, seven, because I got the quick fix. I got, I'll get you to hundred K or get you to 500 or I'll get you a quick million and we'll get the results and do this and that. No, there's no quick fix. There's no shortcuts. It's going and putting yourself in a position to master the skill sets. So that's all I do all day long now is I master the skill sets within the stuff that I have interest in speaking, podcasting, creating videos, um, coaching, um, leading, and all that stuff. I just, from, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, I'm in the trenches doing everything I can to get the advantage on everybody else to allow myself to set apart because I want to make myself so good that people can't ignore me. And that's what separates people that are successful from people that are average or good is that they just become so good. See, when people get to the point where, where all that skill set stuff is monotonous or boring or you start suffering, because we all go through that. I just keep going. That's it. And once you get around to that rhythm, past that spot of, of being stuck, or you know, it's going to come back around. You just can't stop. You can't stop that momentum because progression is the key to happiness. I, I truly did get a scholarship. I got one scholarship uh, to the University of Louisville. Uh, went down there. I was a backup tight end on our high school team as a junior. I put on a bunch of weight uh, for my senior season. Ended up getting a scholarship to Louisville. Went from I kind of went in the off in in the line of scrimmage. So I went from tight end on the outside to tackle. And then ended up my retro freshman year starting as center for Louisville. Played 49 straight games there. Played for a guy named Bobby Petrino for the first three years. Learned a lot of lessons from him. His name's been tarnished a little bit. Um, a lot of it he brought on himself. But just learned a tremendous amount about being a man. And you're either getting better, getting worse every single day. I say being a man. Maybe not modeling what, you know, dad and husband and whatever that may be. And... and and he did that as well at times. I don't want to undermine that part of him. Just I know people on the outside listening would say, well, is that the same guy we saw in Atlanta and Arkansas? But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of guys nowadays, there's a lot of college-age kids nowadays that could use some Bobby Petrino tough love to kind of take you to that next level, whether that's your next level in sport, business, just the daily demand and grind. I, I just – um, I don't often honor him on podcasts, and for some reason, he just hit my brain today to kind of give him some encouragement through my words there. But learned a lot from him. Ended up being a first-round draft pick to the Buffalo Bills in 2009, and just truly a dream come true there. And get to play for your beloved Bills. And right. you know, when I went to the Bills, they were eight years into a playoff drought. I would play there for nine more years of that playoff drought, which at the time was the longest in professional sports. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you, you got one scholarship offer, one scholarship offer from Louisville. And from there, like you said, you moved inside the line and then it got drafted, number, you know, first round, you were the you know, late first round, or I'm sorry, mid first round pick, late first round pick, I think for, for the Bills, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. How do you go from, you know, barely getting a college offer and then, you know, the movement that you made to a first round pick in a short period of time. What are some of the things that you did? Was it goal setting, visualization? What are some things you did to kind of do that? You know, I think I did some of that stuff naturally, but but I'll tell you what a few turning points for me was. So, um, you know, I'm a I'm a man of faith and I'm I'm not going to shy away from the fact that there was opportunities that were put in front of me by the grace of God, I'm assuming. You know, I played at a high school where 
a lot of guys were getting recruited and getting college scholarships. So there was college coaches around. If there was no other guys on my high school team getting recruited, I would have never got recruited. They would have never noticed me. There'd be no reason to come to the West side of Cincinnati to elder high school. If there wasn't other really good ball players. So I was fortunate of that. And I was fortunate of so many deals. I mean, I went into an offensive line amongst four guys. So my first year starting at Louisville, my, Left guard and left tackle, my right guard and right tackle all played in the NFL at, you know, at least for a short stint, some of them for a long career. That That's lucky. That's a great opportunity. That's for me to be surrounded by people. You know, I think I had great mentors. I learned from a lot of guys that I played with. I learned from a lot of incredible coaches. There was a lot of hard work along the way. And, and I think by continuously pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, you create habits of being able to push yourself to the limits that pay off all throughout life. Um, but you talk about goal setting. And for me, my goal coming into college, and, and I, I, don't, I don't talk about this often on podcasts and whatnot, but my, my goal coming into college was to make the Bengal, I'm originally from Cincinnati, if I could yeah. make the Bengals practice squad one day, me and my high school buddies would joke how special that would be. At the time that paid 90,000 bucks, I thought, well, shoot, I can work in the off season. I can make over a hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, I'm on the tribe of millionaires podcast and you wouldn't have invited me if you didn't assume I took care of my money enough to still be a millionaire. So yeah. that was my goal entering college. Well, I was, I made the freshman All-American team. And when you make the freshman All-American team, they send you a letter and I still have it framed. And it's hey, 70% of freshman All-Americans end up getting drafted X amount of percent become second round draft picks, first round draft picks, whatever it may be. My goals instantly shifted. And that's where the power of words and the power of encouragement, you never know what it's going to do for someone. On my podcast, I've had actors on, musicians, professional athletes. And one common theme is there's generally, especially if you poke and prod around enough, there's generally one moment where there was words of encouragement that led to bigger goals, bigger dreams. So for all you business owners out there, for all you CEOs, anyone in a leadership position, and, and really I'm assuming anyone in listening to this podcast is in some type of leadership position, even if it's just leading your family, male or female, you are a leader. Never underestimate what words of encouragement, words of affirmation can do for somebody. And when I got those words from the All-American Committee, that shifted my goals. I instantly shifted my goals to say, I will do everything in my power to be a first round draft pick. And I became obsessed with it. And when I go and talk to college age kids nowadays, I say, look, there are so many professional or there's so many college athletes out there, less than 1% will sign an NFL contract. You have to truly be obsessed with playing in the NFL and staying in the NFL to get there. It doesn't happen by chance. It's for someone's athletic ability, for someone's skill to truly outweigh their work habits. I mean, it takes a rare, rare case, rare case that that ever happens. And when you look around the NFL, it's not, and you look at all the lockers, it's not Texas, Alabama, Ohio State, Man, it's Eastern Washington, Washington, it's University of Louisville, it's Eastern Carolina, and there's some blue chip prospects in there as well. But these are all guys that were obsessed with it and would not be denied it. So, you know, I, I think 
my goals did shift it shift Jamie and then I became obsessed with it to where all my actions all my work were pointing in the direction of what I ultimately wanted to become and you know I often talk to people about creating a vision well without me knowing you know what all these personal development experts would be saying just kind of ingrained in me was throughout this process of being obsessed with becoming a first round draft pick I hung a picture in my locker uh, it was a cutout from a magazine and it was basically what a NFL prototype center would look like mm. some tangibles and intangibles well I was literally giving myself a vision daily of what I wanted to become. And it's amazing, Jamie, how many of those at the combine I was so close to, like it was the prototype center was six, four, three, 10, according to this paper, based upon my combine measurements, I was six, four in exactly 310 pounds. Wow. It was, you know, at least 30 reps on the bench of 225 pounds. I did exactly 30. It's amazing how many of those lined up perfectly. So that, that was a great question. I hope that wasn't too long of an answer. But a lot of the principles that I teach and coach now and try and pour into others, I did naturally. I kind of did by accident. But a lot of that's just being surrounded by great mentors and coaches.